when you start and you're like, all right, I'm going to create, you know, YouTube gaming content. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to create gaming video content. I can't um, urge you enough that just do it from a place of passion, right? Uh, it's going to be a long road regardless, you know, like it's going to be a long road. Ask any big creator. It's a long road for a variety of reasons. So you just got to be passionate about it and your short-term goals cannot be financially motivated. So do what you do because you love it. We're here for episode 11 with a special guest, someone that I've been lucky enough to get close with over the past year, uh, former, I'll say caster with MLG, also made his way through the MCN scene with Machinima, and then now sits on uh, as the head of gaming at YouTube, and also a diehard Cleveland Browns fan, yeah. you know, having quite the year this year. Yeah. Uh, I actually don't watch a ton of football, but just uh, tuned in yesterday to ESPN. I think they're nine and three. They are, and they play tonight. We're recording this on the okay. night of Monday Night Football. So hopefully by the time people are watching this, they're 10 and 3. There we go. Yeah. So before uh, before we get started and before we get into some questions about, about YouTube Live and, and things like that that Blake and I want to talk about, let's just start with your current position at YouTube and yeah. what, you're, what you do and what your day-to-day -day is. Man, that's a lot. That's a loaded question. Um, so I've been at YouTube for about six, over six years now. I'm the head of gaming at YouTube, but I also focus on our commerce initiative. Um, and I have some like, you know, fun 20% projects, you know, around VR, which we're doing, um, how we're working with brands, but really like, if you look and broke down my role, it's gaming and commerce. Um, I'd say about 80% of my time spent is on the gaming vertical. Um, it's obviously a really big business for us. My day to day, it's, uh, is pretty wild. I'm in back to back meetings all day long. I mean, really what I'm trying to do on a day to day basis is make sure I'm empowering people that work at our company globally to do the things they need to do in order for us to succeed. I mean, like that's the best way to distill down what I do. So whether it's helping with product prioritization, roadmap, feedback, partnering with creators, partnering with, you know, making sure our marketing efforts to work with creators and game publishers are out there. And so it's very multifaceted, but that's how I distill it down to. I mean, because at the end of the day, <clears throat> that's all I'm doing. I'd say 90% of my role is internal facing. Like I don't really, mm. you know, it's not that external facing. I think obviously when you think of me, maybe my social media and stuff is very external facing, but my day to day, I'm not meeting with partners ever. It's all internal stakeholders to make sure gaming is at the top of mind for Susan and leadership and Sundar and leadership and that we are moving that ball forward. You're also, you're very active on Twitter. So how Man. much time do you spend a week on Twitter? Cause you respond oh. very quickly to a lot of creators. Yeah. You know, like I, my wife would give you an, I'm probably not more honest answer than I, um, I spent far too much time on it. I, it's kind of a tough thing for me because here's how I look at it. Like my passion has always been community, right? For as long as, even when I was like a content creator, I just like love interacting and engaging with the community. I think it actually has allowed me to be successful. Um, I feel that connective tissue with the creator community is really important, especially at YouTube, where we can sometimes be so big and we can get lost in that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I spend far too much time on it, probably like three hours a day in total. It's all, it's, what happens is it's that like bite-sized five minutes that mm -hmm. add up over the course of the day. And I feel like it's relatable to you guys as well. Um, but yeah, man, I'm on it far too much, uh, but I can't help it because I feel like it's such an important part of my job. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I feel the same way. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm on it all the time and, and I feel yeah. like it, there's a weird like FOMO as well, where I, I imagine, especially in your world where, you know, creators, something happens and things move so quick that like, you're like, oh man, I missed this. Or like, I'm not up on what is actually happening anymore. That's at least how I feel. And so I'm, I'm on there constantly. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I mean, look, I think it, like I said, it's an important part of what we do, and I do think you need to feel connected. Um, I'm trying to get better at it. Uh, it's work in progress. We'll see what 2021 holds for me. So let's talk a little bit about YouTube gaming. So when, when did you officially start at YouTube? Uh, October of 2014. So so what did the the gaming department look like wasn't when one. you first started? There <laughs> yeah, was yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> They brought me in to start it. Um, so we had managed... Um, not, we had managed nothing, right? There was no relationships with gaming. Uh, there was anything that was done gaming, which was uh, effectively nothing, was under this like entertainment vertical. Um, so yeah, I got brought in by Robert Kinsel, who recruited me, who's our chief business officer. Uh, and he's like, yeah, gaming's uh, pretty important to YouTube and we need someone to start it. <clears throat> he reached out to me because I was at Machinima, which you were talking about. And while at Machinima, I used to write these like <clears throat> Jerry Maguire-esque commission statements to YouTube where I just would um, like rant and write these run-on sentences that would go on forever about all the stuff YouTube should be doing around gaming. And I would send it to Machinima's partner manager, who inevitably would go on to be Robert Kinsel, our chief business officer, uh, his chief of staff. And so I'd write these things about all the stuff that they're doing wrong, like why they should be investing time and energy into live streaming, why we ended up partnering with Twitch while I was at Machinima, we partnered with Twitch, all this stuff, right? And they're losing the gaming audience. And so I think what happened was he's like, all right, we need to start a gaming vertical, like get that guy that was annoying as hell that had all the answers about what we should or shouldn't be doing with gaming. And that's kind of how I got hired. And I, you know, 13, 14 interviews later, uh, they're like, great, go, uh, go start gaming on YouTube. And that's kind of how it started. Man, that, I mean, that's crazy. It's also a good just lesson in like persistence and adding value and like, you know, doing something before you even had the job, I think is awesome. I, I'm curious for you is, you know, obviously gaming continues to grow, but like just for people who are like listening, like where, where was gaming in 2014? You know, like obviously it was still big, but like, I don't think it was nearly as big as it is today. Like just like maybe some context there would be super helpful. Oh no, definitely. I mean, we doubled the size of gaming in the last two years. Um, so you can only imagine where it was in 2014. I mean, gaming had always been big on YouTube, right? Even if you look back to like 2010, where Minecraft and Call of Duty gaming videos were really prominent, the launch of the dazzle capture card back in like you know circa 2009 2010 really like started to put out this volume of gaming video on the platform i think what youtube didn't youtube just didn't really know what to do with it didn't know how to like seize the opportunity didn't understand the opportunity didn't understand how you work with gaming creators didn't really get gaming publishers role in the ecosystem and so you know, when I came in, it was really a blank canvas, which was nice, right? Because there was so much to do and there was so much opportunity. It made my job easy in a lot of ways and very difficult in a lot of ways. Um, but gaming has always been, to, to answer your question more succinctly, gaming's always been an important part of YouTube, whether YouTube wanted to acknowledge it or not, right? And so even if you go back to YouTube in like 2009, 2010, and they have all these different categories on the front page, gaming was never there, right? And so actively gaming was kind of getting swept under the rug. Um, and as we started to build it out and realize the opportunity, I think that's where it became its own focus. I, I have to give Susan a lot of credit, our CEO. She really championed it and was like, this is an important business and we need to focus on this business and it's highly specialized. And so um, you know, she was always a big supporter of establishing and getting the gaming vertical going. And so when she became the CEO of YouTube, that's really where gaming got brought up to the forefront from just a company-wide initiative. So you guys actually, and I love that you guys do this. So every year you come out with the top games, uh, and I think it's just based on watch time. Views. So when you started in 2014, as now into 2020, 
has that changed or is it just Minecraft just continuing to dominate? Uh, so the answer is yes to both. Um, so my, Minecraft has always been the top game, uh, which is incredible. Like even if you look at the heyday of Fortnite, which got close and actually in one month in June of was it 18 or whatever year, the heyday of Fortnite, there was one month in June where there were more Fortnite videos uploaded than Minecraft videos. But that's the only time in any other thing that it eclipsed uh, Minecraft. Right. So Minecraft has been number one forever. Um, there are really consistent through lines of League of Legends, Grand Theft Auto, these games that have been around five plus years that continue to be at the top. Other than that, there's a lot of mix that happens. I would say those globalists are great because they appreciate some of those games that really touch all parts and all different types of gamers and all different types of culture. What I always find most fascinating are the regional trends or country level trends, which vary greatly. Now, before we even ask the next question, which is funny about that, Minecraft still is the top in all of those. Obviously, in order for it to have an aggregate of 200 billion views, it needs to be prominent everywhere, and it is. Yeah. There's, no, there's no other place where Minecraft's not number one. It's astonishing, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've talked you know, a bunch about this offline of just like how big some of these other regions are. And I think something that, that YouTube specifically, and, and you guys have done an incredible job at, is actually... Uh, bringing those people online and, and whereas I think some of the other platforms maybe aren't paying as much attention to them. And I think is specifically, you know, Free Fire and Garena is just in, an insane one to me, right? Like I, in the States, no one here, I don't even think plays or knows about Free Fire, yeah. but it's still, was it its third this year on on the most watched game? And uh, yeah. like, can you just talk about that and like how you, because you, you viewed like, globally uh and you oversee all of like global gaming how, how do you just view those trends in these like emerging regions or, or things like that yeah it's funny like i've I actually like this whole um conversation is something i've like struggled with over years because a lot of the um coughs right the the opinion the key opinion formers of the games industry are so western focused and so one mistake i made early on in my career was is was thinking that people are focused globally, right? That people have this perspective of global gaming. And what I've found out is that actually most people in this industry have zero understanding of gaming globally, right? And so I turned that then into, I'm like, all right, this is, if that's the case, then there's opportunity there, right? Right. There's opportunity to figure out and understand this space. And so what I did early in my career um, is traveled a bunch. So I went to all different countries from from Southeast Asia to Latin America to Europe to India and all these different places just to just to like learn, right? Understand the market, understand cultural trends. And some of the things that kept kind of coming up in some of these trips was mobile gaming is like actually like this thing that people were primarily playing, um, you know, their, their games on, which for me, even as like somebody that's like, I'm like a hardcore PC gamer, right? And so the idea of like people choosing mobile games as their primary platform for, for playing games was astonishing to me as well. And, and so what we started to see is, you know, to your point, Google was working on internet connectivity, India, other countries. You started seeing YouTube, just overall YouTube, start to grow in a lot of these regions. And what I wanted to make sure is YouTube was growing. It was like, what's our gaming strategy there? What's our gaming strategy there, right? And so it would create then uh, us really thinking through, okay, like, all right, India, gaming is not big there right now. Why is it not big? Oh, it's not big because we have a, con a content supply issue where... People play mobile games, but there's not content to go watch around mobile games. Now, you can only control so much of that, right? Like we can come up with a strategy and we can influence that and we can create product. Um, but you've got to work with partner managers on the ground. You've got to you know, create the opportunity for people to want to create content. 
make sure that you're monetizing. So like take India and just a country, if for, for example, like we created programs that would scale educational materials to everybody that wanted to be a creator in YouTube in India. Uh, we started to take very specific product requests of like, oh, mobile gaming matters to you. How do we make mobile gaming capturing easy? How do we partner with different uh, software providers to make sure that it's really easy to capture mobile gaming? How do we even put best practices if you're like, how the hell do I capture content from my mobile phone? Right. And so doing all of that, educating partner managers, educating uh, sellers, right, that were trying to move uh, linear dollars over to digital dollars. And you just have to do all of these things, partner with the publishers that matter. And so um, that's really how we started to make some serious progress. Now, what I didn't expect was how quickly mobile gaming would blow up. Like we knew that had to be a big part of our long-term strategy. It was very obvious just doing some research. Um, I did not expect the rate in which it was going to grow. And so I think a lot of that rapid growth, us doubling in two years, a lot of that is attributed to the, the growth of mobile gaming. Yeah. And Blake and I actually made an investment into a company that's, you know, centered around, I would say, making mobile games easier to play, but also capturing content for mobile games. And so it'll be interesting to see when Wild Rift and a few of these other things hit, like, are we going to see a resurgence or at least like creators here domestically in America actually pushing into mobile gaming? Because we really haven't yet. I think as you look at YouTube gaming, the most popular creators have had a lot of success playing Fortnite, Minecraft, Grand Theft Auto. That'll continue. Um, but it's really cool to see like the Brawl Stars, for instance. I think uh, you tweeted yeah. out something <laughs> last week. They had a million concurrents playing this game um, that not a lot of people probably know about if you're not an avid mobile game user. Uh, and so just like from my perspective, I I'm excited for probably the next five years to see like what mobile gaming can turn into in the US. Yeah, and that that, that investment I think is smart. I like the company Backbone. I think, um, I think how you'll have to look at mobile gaming where there's so many different options on how you play video games, it'll be an additive experience, right? And so like I can see people picking up Genshin Impact, which doesn't have mobile support and something like Backbone coming in and being highly important to that on the go playing experience, like the same value that Nintendo Switch brought to the space. I think I think Backbone can for, you know, Western markets with mobile gaming. Um, and these games are, are going to become more sophisticated as hardware gets better. Like you're really going to see these phones start to be on, you know, not even playing field with a PC or a high end console, but enough where you're like, all right, I, I can with a controller in my hand and it feels like a Nintendo Switch. I'm willing to play a variety of games that might just be mobile first games. So I don't know that it's necessarily you're going to see people like do cross platform Fortnite on this thing, although obviously you will. I think what you're going to see is a lot of really great mobile first games come out on awesome hardware and the best way to tap into it will be with a controller. And then, yeah, I think, you know, being able to stream and capture software is such an important part. You've got to democratize being a content creator. It's like what I focus on the most. I think it's one of the most important things that that type of hardware will allow for that as well. Yeah. And maybe I guess just like taking it, you know, a different extreme and just talking more about just creators in general on, on YouTube. Like I think, you know, in, in the past year, so much of the story has been around these like, I don't know, streaming wars and, and exclusivities and all of that. Like, are you able to discuss that at all? And like, and, and maybe not even just like the inner workings of those deals. But I think what was really interesting is, is specifically like Courage and Valkyrie, who both signed deals with YouTube and switched over, have clearly found a ton of success on, on YouTube. Like, how do you just think about that world and, and what has happened over the past year or so uh, within the streaming space? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in that question. Um, 
I think the streaming wars that you will were like the heyday of the streaming deals. Like you had Microsoft, Amazon, Google that were really interested in growing live gaming space at, at the same time, right? Um, live gaming isn't a huge industry relative to the total watch time. I mean, I peg it at like, look, we came out with 100 billion hours, 10 being attributed to live. My guess is like Twitch is probably at 18 to 20 and, you know, Facebook gaming is probably at like three to five. So it matters. Like you, you can't ignore live gaming. It's a, it's here. It's only going to keep growing. It's here to stay. And so I kind of felt like, you know, we were behind in this space when we went out and did these deals. And so really what I wanted to do when we put this kind of package of signing creators together was we need 10 pull creators globally. So we did creator deals in India and Brazil and Europe and North America and so forth. And so we had these like 10 pull creators, if you will, scattered around globally. They're going to inspire others to create. But we're also going to get feedback in each one of these regions on, okay, well, what do you need? You know, I think we all understand the product suite that YouTube gaming needs to create. I don't think that's the challenge. Prioritizing it relative to each market and what's most important to them versus also what's most important to YouTube overall is where the challenge is. So helping and aggregating all this feedback and having these beacons was what was really important to me. That's like why we went out and did these deals. Um, I don't know that like necessarily we need to be doing these long term. I think it's very dynamic. So I would never give an answer of like, we'll never do them again. Or yeah, we need to always do it. Um, I think it's a very dynamic space and it's constantly growing and changing. But really what I want to do is create a sustainable ecosystem where the opportunity cost is just worth your time, right? Like if people are coming to me and saying, I don't know, it's just not valuable for me to live stream on YouTube. Like that's a problem we need to fix. And signing more creators does not fix that problem. So if we need to do that to prop up time to fix that, then sure, that makes sense. Um, but I would like to, I'd like to fix the overall bucket and make sure it's not leaking. Um, I think creators and signing them to exclusive deals helps with that because it provides you with an endless supply of really candid feedback that helps product and eng teams prioritize. So that's that. Um, I think also like these, everybody's doing it for a different reason too. Like I think Twitch has different reasons and Facebook has different reasons. That that's YouTube's. I can only speak to YouTube. Um, so we'll see, but I, I don't think it'll be like at the height of the heyday that you saw, you know, last year, but these deals are still happening and they're not, as, they, you know, they're happening in different markets in different countries. So I don't even know that they're hitting everybody's again, radar in the U S but they're happening globally still. Um, courage and Ray were really interesting. I think there's like, we could, there's a lot to even unpack in those two creators very specifically. I look at, um, Ray who like, I mean, what a phenomenal year, um, which is an understatement. I mean, I think everybody knows and it's well-documented how well she's done and what a year she had. You know, when we looked at Ray, you know, there was clearly like a gap in female live streamers for us. Like we have a lot of big female gaming creators on the platform, but what we lacked was those leaning into live streaming. Um, and so I looked at her and to be honest with you, she she had always seemed like a superstar to me. It was just like, how do we get her where it's, you know, she understands VOD versus live, the output's right, we get her dialed in. Because I thought there was a huge, I always talk about content supply issues, right? Like, where, where are we hurting on content supplies? And whether it's category, game, geo, language, whatever. It's like, you should always be focusing on your content supply gaps because, you know, it's it's a global business. And there's a lot of them, even on YouTube gaming. And I felt like female English speaking live streamers was a huge gap. And, and in hindsight, I wish we would have signed more. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there. 
So Ray comes in and she's like already a superstar in the making, right? Like you just have to like point her in the right direction because she's going to run and be great. And you don't really have to do much more than that. And so we were ecstatic when we signed her. Like I remember like how happy we were to get Ray to come over and, and, you know, the whole team was really excited for her. And the first two months was actually really rocky. I think, you know, she was not, you know, it was a rough adjustment. You know, when you're primarily just a Twitch streamer and you're coming over to YouTube gaming and now there's all these other variables you have to consider. When do I upload my thumbnails, SEO, all of this stuff. The game becomes much more complex than I live stream and I'm done, right? Um, so I think that was a little overwhelming at first. But once we got her dialed in, man, she just, I mean, took off. I would never have guessed. I knew she was going to be big. I told her that even before. I was like, you're going to be big. You're going to be a YouTube gaming superstar. I, I wish I would have seen that. I never saw it coming. So, so I'm like, I'm thrilled for her. She deserves the great year that she had. So her, I think there's a, still a content supply issue with female live streamers. I think if other female live gaming creators came over to YouTube, they would experience some semblance of her success. Now, obviously, she's got a lot of intangibles, but I do think there's opportunity, right? Um, for Courage, it was, we kind of were like, we just need like these Call of Duty, Warzone, Battle Royale, like live streamers, because we have a bunch of VOD content creators, but we don't have any doing that other than TG, who's an, also an all-star, has been on YouTube from day one, kind of first mover's advantage for him. So Courage, we just wanted to like beef up that sector so it wasn't poor like typical gamer on an island by himself doing it. Um, and so that was kind of like the idea behind Courage. Uh, which worked out well. I think, you know, Courage was already a great YouTuber. So, you know, you didn't have to really overthink signing Courage and, and, and making that happen. And so that was really the idea behind the two of them and signing those two particularly. And I think they fit, you know, one thing when I'm looking at, I, I need to make sure we're not just signing live streamers, but we're, we're signing people that understand YouTube and how to be successful on YouTube and that it's much more than just streaming. You got to be very multidimensional and, and certainly you two know that. And so... Courage kind of fell in that bucket because he was already doing VOD well. Yeah, it, it, TG was always TG was always like really frustrated with the. I think everyone thought like if you're a live streamer, you you stream on Twitch, and there's yeah. no other way to do it. And so he was always extremely frustrated that you know maybe he was seen as like not be he was less of a live streamer because he wasn't on Twitch. And then when Nick A30 left uh, when he signed that exclusive deal to go to Twitch, it was just him. Like he was it. Uh, and so we were just kind of patiently waiting for you guys to be like, is YouTube yeah. going to make a move? Like, are they going to bring anyone over? So I think it was just like good for the whole ecosystem that you guys pulled people over from Twitch that are now like playing the same games as TG, playing a few different games, but they all kind of complement each other. Yep. Yeah, I think, look, I think it's important. Competition, though, and that and the spirit of that is like really important in general. Like, I actually think we are all benefiting from this competition and not to be like cliche. And that's just the PC thing to say, but it's so true, right? Like I, I just think of how much the games industry is moving forward with, with Microsoft and Facebook and Google and Amazon's involvement in the space. And it, it's only a good thing. So I think the creators benefit. I think we benefit from it. I think our product advancements across the board benefit from it. So I, I think the, um, the streaming wars, if you will, were a really important and necessary part of continuing to move our industry forward. And I'm glad TG feels like he got a little bit of support. We needed to, uh, mm. we needed to expand that support system for him. So it's good to hear. And then uh, obviously there's a lot at the top and you guys signed a lot of Australians like Laserbeam and Lachlan and guys. Yeah, that a little wild in, there, in Australia, yep. but yeah. Yep. But, and then how do you, like, how do you guys think about like a middle class of live streaming as opposed to like the top, right? Are, are you guys doing anything to grow like that middle class that could potentially blow up and become a TG? 
Yeah, it's a, it's such a great question. We call them torso creators, not necessarily middle class, but it's the look. I think of two things that are different. I um, I think of gaming overall. Like I don't think just of live streaming. And first of all, I think if you're gonna be successful on YouTube, you can be a live first creator. I think we've proven that. TG is a great example of that. But I think really like harnessing success on YouTube is taking a 360 uh, approach to it. It's like you have stories, shorts, live available to you on YouTube. None of those three products are unique to YouTube by any stretch of the imagination. But the idea is they're all on YouTube. It's the only platform where you have all of these tools at your disposal. And so because you have all of them at your disposal, a big part is how you leverage all of them. Not equally, because I think they can vary. Like I think you can do shorts and VOD, or you can do live streaming with a little bit of VOD, right? I think there's different formulas for success, but these are tools that are very important to leverage. Now, to answer like the, the, the torso content creator question, there's a couple of things that we're, we're working on. I think one is making sure that, um, and I think, look, if you look at our numbers that we release, like we have a pretty healthy torso. When 80,000 gaming channels hit 100,000 subscribers in one year and like 300 hit that 10 million mark, like we've got a good, we're moving people through that funnel already, right? And there's a lot of things that we're doing. I'd say the most important thing that we can keep working on though, to answer that question directly is commerce and alternative monetization, right? So what I have noticed on other platforms is you can get quicker leaning entirely into a platform on a non-ads business, right? So ours is channel membership, super chat, all of that, right? I think it's really important to keep developing these products, rolling them out, making them more accessible, giving creators more autonomy on how you use them in tweet VOD and live and what price tiers you set them at and what do you offer behind the paywall and so forth. We need to do more of that. We need to make it more accessible. We need more payment forms globally. Um, we need to expand on those products outside of just live. Like that's where we should be spending all of our time to help out torso creators because that velocity to I've made enough money and now I can go full time into it. I've been substantially quicker when it's a really strong ads business and commerce. And so we are mirroring and partnering those two as far as like equally important initiatives moving forward. And that has gone a long way of just getting the sheer volume of people saying, I can commit more time to this and creating content. And you, YouTube, are making it worth my while. Um, I, I believe those products that we've created in the last three years are why you saw the numbers you saw in this last year alone around us moving a lot of creators through that funnel. There's more work to do there. I think rolling it out and making it more accessible and appealing to VOD creators is kind of the next step. But yeah, that's how that's our plan to keep moving that number up and growing these people. But you know, in releasing those numbers. Like that was like the point I was trying to make is like, if you think it's too late to be a gaming creator, you're wrong. And you can have this like example, like dream, which I understand is not a realistic for everybody, but it's a great example. But then those sheer, that sheer volume of numbers of people moving through to graduate to a hundred thousand, a million and 10 million is incredibly impressive. And so I, I focus a lot on that and that's, those need to be our internal KPIs. Like that, that shows a, healthy, sustainable creator ecosystem within gaming. And I obsess over that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, these these up and coming ones or ones that have broken through in the past year, a great like case study. I, I'm curious for you as you think about obviously dream is one side of that, that spectrum. Yeah. But how do, how do you think about just like general best practices you you touched a little bit there on on like yes uh trying to do it all you know and like in and leveraging the full platform of youtube but like do you have any advice i mean a lot of people that listen or watch this are you know aspiring creators or creators themselves like 
what are the best practices that you tell people, you know, and, and, and I'm sure that varies greatly depending on what type of content and, and their goals and all of that. But like, are, is there any general best practices that you have for, for creators in general? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. Um, when you start and you're like, all right, I'm going to create, you know, YouTube gaming content. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to create gaming video content. I can't, um, urge you enough that just do it from a place of passion, right? Uh, it's going to be a long road regardless, you know, like it's going to be a long road. Ask any big creator. It's a long road for a variety of reasons. So you just got to be passionate about it and your short term goals cannot be financially motivated. So do what you do because you love it. Now, I, you know, it's totally realistic to want to make a career out of it. And I think working that as part of your goals long term is really important. I would say the big thing that the reason I say that is people fizzle out because they aren't overnight success, right? They don't, they don't, they just start uploading and they're like, I'm only getting 200 views. And so this isn't working out. And so they give up too quick, too early. In fact, if I could lay out some of the biggest creators we have and you showed their viewership over time, there is an inflection point where they just hockey stick up over like an 18 month run. If you just think of like, you know, that meme where like somebody's got a pickaxe and there's like diamonds and it's like that dirt pile like right in between them. Right. And they give up and they turn around. It's like, how many creators have we lost because of that? You know, um, and look at all of them. Look at Beast, look at PewDiePie, look at all of them over a period of time. You'll see that. Right. And so um, I, I urge people to be like, be consistent, be passionate, believe in yourself long term. And these things will come. But consistency is like the next thing. Right. You have to adhere to a schedule. Yes, the algorithm you know, can work for you, but when you build up a subscriber base, them knowing when to come to your content, when to watch, what kind of content to expect, very critical, right? So like have some consistency, have a cadence of how you upload. The other thing would be like, don't be afraid to do A-B testing, whether it's thumbnail, whether it's a type of video, right? Like go out on a limb, be mindful. I see so many people that just like, I look at their video, their channel, and it's just like the same thumbnails for like six months to get, you haven't even tried like maybe it's working out for you but could work out better right like try things that are different and things like that seo and thumbnails and all of that and different content output is all really important and then long term like establish what kind of audience you want to cultivate right? like what what kind of community are you trying to build like that needs to be at the forefront of all the stuff we just talked about it's like i want this type of community that i'm going to cultivate and whatever that is like Keep that on top of mind when you're creating content, when you're doing thumbnails, when you're engaging. And so that, that would be my advice to anybody starting. Um, I know it seems like basic, but there is so much gold in just that basic, uh, that basic advice to get going. And then long-term, it becomes much more nuanced as you get bigger and the playing field changes and it becomes a business and all of that. There's a lot more to it, but getting started, that, that's my advice. Yeah. Yeah. People forget that TG, Press and Plays, Mr. Beast, like they've been doing this for a decade. Yep. And it took him seven years to like hit that inflection point. Jimmy yep. posted something on Twitter a couple months ago where he like showed his views per year from like 2013, right? And he like basically did nothing for the first four years of his career. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it exploded and now he does 10 billion views a year. Uh, but people yeah. need to, to realize like this is, this is a long road. If you don't love it, like just get out because you, yeah. can't, you can't compete. It's so true. I think that's like, I think that's the core of the advice because yes, you got to have passion in it. Um, if it's just purely a paycheck, I just don't know that you'll have the heart it takes to get to where you need to be. Mm -hmm. So it, one thing you talked about, so content strategy. So I've found this really interesting over the past year is we basically have within gaming two different content strategies that I've seen. We have like jelly, lanky box, like on this side that are like posting three to four videos a day. 
Uh, and they're, they're probably posting 90 to hundred videos a month. And then we have like over on this side, we have like dream George not found. And like these guys that are posting one video a month and they're actually pulling the exact same amount of monthly views. They're on like the two to 300 million per monthly views. Mm -hmm. So as, as you look at like content strategy, that's like one thing that you need to look at is like, do I want to post consistently or do I want to just post really high quality videos that are going to have high watch time that I know YouTube's going to suggest. Um, so have you guys talked about that internally when you guys talk about different creators and content strategy and like the differences between the two? We do a little bit. I would say the one thing like we try to be mindful of, um, like, you know, you want you want to give people the materials to educate themselves. You don't want to like spoon feed specific strategies, whatever it is. Like, I don't even want to spoon feed people that are gaming creators live streaming, right? Like you might not, it might not be for you. It might not be something you want to add to your channel and that's okay, right? Um, so I, I try, like, we look at these things, you know, um, from a, from a data and analytical standpoint, but I would say there's no real point for us turning these things into actual like programming strategies because people need it. There's again, so much nuance there. People need to make these decisions for themselves. And what you just laid out very clearly shows there's no right way to the end point, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you have a flow chart to, I'm a big YouTube gaming creator, there is so many different paths to take that I, you know, being the person that like puts it all in one basket for one video per month can be scary as much as it is to upload 90 videos in a month. Like that output is insane, right? So I think more than anything, it's trying to show that there is a, a, a variety of ways to get to where you're going and just make those, that information scalable. A lot of the top creators, you know, and the ones Reed, that you're working with, they, they, like you said, been around for a decade. Like they kind of are the ones that are writing the blueprints of success. And so what we're trying to do is take those materials and make them broadly available in every possible language. So the next Mr. Beast that's out there right now that just bought a webcam for the first time for Christmas is like, all right, where do I start? You know, um, that's where I want. And I just like, if they want to go down that road of, of being a live streamer, or they want to go down a road of uploading short clips, or they want to do this like incredible Minecraft video that they spent a whole month on, we just want to make sure we can they can deploy that video strategy with like the best information behind them. But it's really hard to say there's like any one way to do it. Yeah, I think it's so interesting because I mean, if you talk with like Mr. Beast or these guys, they, they all talk about how they studied, you know, YouTube themselves and they all are yeah. like uh, users themselves and watch a ton of these videos. And I think what you just mentioned is exactly right. Like maybe you watch Linky Box for these people and you're like, now I need to create 90 videos, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. or maybe you're watching Dream and you're like, wow, I can make one video. And I think so much of it is trial and error, but there is a lot like to if you are an aspiring creator, I think so much of it is viewing it from like a teacher or a student perspective where you're like, what are they actually doing? You know, um, I think if you like watch Mr. Beast video as like from a content creator perspective, you're like, wow, that makes a ton of sense why this video is doing incredibly well. And uh, I think just understanding those nuances is, is just really important and probably another sign that you'll succeed because I think there's no one that really understands the platform as well as like Jimmy or Mr. Beast right now. Like he, he, he clearly understands everything that's happening. Yeah, it's, uh, it's some of them. It's, it's your point. It's such a great point about studying. And honestly, I, I need to add that to like my vocabulary when talking about um, how to find success on YouTube because I... Um, I value my team so much as partner managers, but at the end of the day, these creators that have been on the platform for a decade that have learned the hard way on how to get where they are today, there is such a wealth of information and knowledge about the platform that even I will never be able to fully understand because they are in it day in, day out. They're putting it all on the line for it, right? And, you know, so 
understanding everything in YTA, watching other creators, like watching missteps, watching where people find success. I mean, this is also why I love kind of signing the live streamers as well, because yeah, I mean, I think I know a lot about this space, but there's no doubt when you sit and talk to a creator that's doing a day in and day out, you, you, you learn so much more and it's the ins and outs of everything. And I think paying attention to what people are doing is, the, is an important best practice. Yeah. And I don't want to gas Jimmy up too much here, but I'll say the one thing he's done really well is if you go in like 2016, 17 and look at his videos compared to today, he's made a lot of progress on, yeah. on multiple things, whether it's like better editing, better thumbnails, better ideas, better content. Like he continues to, to think about after he uploads a video, like how could I have made that video better? And I think once people upload videos on YouTube, at least the majority of creators are just like, all right, I uploaded. Thank goodness. Now on to the next. They don't think about like, how do I continue evolving my content? Mm-hmm. And that's where someone like Preston plays and, and TG uh, specifically within live streaming. That's why they've had so much success over long periods of time because they continue to get better. Yep. There's a level of obsession in the details as well. And like I said earlier, and it, this industry is dynamic. So you need to be changing with it. This is part of like when I look at it from a strategy perspective. What might have worked a year ago might not work a year from now as well. So like your content creation plan needs to be very fluid. Like my, if my strategy at YouTube gaming is very fluid, then like everybody's strategy on content creation should be. There's so many, this place, this is growing so fast and the dynamic of this industry is changing so quickly that like you got to be on top of it and moving with it. Um, you will get left behind if you don't. What, uh, what do you guys think right now that Twitch is doing better than, than YouTube gaming? Um, so I think Twitch does a variety of things really well because I think um, their size and focus allows them to be much more nimble. Um, if you look at Twitch from a product perspective, they have a world-class live streaming product, right? They, they test a lot of features. They, they fail or succeed. They're moving quickly, right? Like they're doing a lot of different things from a live product standpoint that, that I think is awesome, right? And you know, it's, if you're really, really obsessed with just being a live streaming creator and live first creator, there's a lot of things that are really appealing. I also think that what they do well, which we do, I wouldn't say it's not that we don't do well, we just do it differently. We empower creators to build communities on YouTube. YouTube gaming isn't necessarily like this community, right? It's like we give people the ability and empower them with our size to create sub communities. I think Twitch does a great job of building a sense of community around um, their brand and their image. Um, and that they spend a lot of time, money, energy, and focus around it. So. I think there's a lot of things that they do admirable. And to be honest with you, like I was one of Twitch's first partner channels and streamers on there. I've always loved the platform. I think they had really great leadership in the beginning there that invested a lot of time and energy into esports to got it to where it is today. So there's a lot of good in what they do, but I would say their ability to to move fast and be nimble in live streaming is is probably what's the most admirable from my perspective. Yeah. I, I think there's, you know, the the community aspect of, of Twitch is real. I think it's sort of a blessing and a curse. I think there's a lot of people that still view Twitch to this day as like it's only gaming and and uh, navigating all of that. And, you know, it's always the like, is there going to be a Twitch for uh, cooking or something like that? And, and it's like Twitch should be that. And so I'm curious to see how they, they navigate all of that moving forward. Yeah, I mean, the one thing of like when you build your identity around being hardcore gaming, um, it, it's easy to, I'm sure, feel alienated if you're not that. Yeah. I, and yeah. and you touched on a little bit there, just even how Twitch has, has done a really good job at, at you know pushing esports forward and, and focusing on esports early on. Like, do you have a view on esports long term or how, how do you just view esports right now within the ecosystem? 
I definitely do. Um, okay, so like my background is obviously in esports. I'm pretty passionate about it from an individual standpoint. Um, I think the biggest issue with esports is the expectations of it are, are the spectrum of the expectations is so broad, right? Like you look at some esports like Green of Free Fire and these PUBG mobile ones and the ones that are kind of blowing up and they're marketing vessels. Then you have like the League of Legends and Overwatch and Call of Duty leagues where it's like all oh, this money's being poured and there's a lot of expectations in them. And then you have people talking like, you know, esports is going to be bigger than sports in like three years, right? And so these expectations are just like all over the place, which is the, the biggest issue, right? So I think if everyone tempered expectations and said, look, it took the NFL like a hundred some years to get where it is today, right? Um, that like we would have this much more like sustainable, thoughtful growth that's happening in esports because we are, right? I think there's this um, unnecessary top-down pressure from people that expect esports to be bigger than the NFL tomorrow, right? And so we cut up these viewership numbers in weird ass ways to like say that it is, right? Um, so I believe long-term they will. I think young people are tuning into gaming more than ever. I think that will help build the foundation for esports. I think they're tuning out of things like Major League Baseball. I think people, humans are naturally competitive. A lot of humans are naturally competitive. And so if you like video games and you like a certain game and it has esports, I can see that interest and people continue to grow in it. I think dollars are going to long-term shift away from linear sports into digital esports, right? Um, I think people just need to be okay at the pace in which it's happening. If I look at this whole industry, esports watch time is like 10%. The way people talk about it is like it's 90%. And that therein lies my issue with it. So I'm bullish long-term on esports, but it's funny because um, when I share my insights or input on it, I would be deemed a bearish individual on esports for not expecting it to be like the biggest thing ever in the next three years. Um, so I don't know how to reconcile that in conversation in these moments, but long-term, I'm a big believer in it. And I, I, I think, like I said, you know, People like watching people compete at the highest level, no matter what it is, right? And so that's not going to go anywhere. I think that's a big part of, like, again, humans' DNA. So it'll be big. It's going to be big. And these games have big user bases, and the top of that is competing at the highest level. And so it's going to keep moving. I just think it depends on what your expectation is and at what time. Do you guys think that you'll continue to pay for media rights? I know you guys have the Call of Duty League. I, I believe you also had some kind of deal with the NALCS. Like, is it something that going into 2021, 2022 that you guys will continue to do? Yeah. So, I mean, the Activision Blizzard stuff, it was like we looked at Activision Blizzard and, you know, Google partnership macro level, and we had a great cloud component and a great YouTube component of that. And that was kind of like we talked about on that in our press release. And so, so yeah, I think we, you know, it's so situational, right? Like, I think at the end of the day, like even taking YouTube aside, if we're going to write checks for media, it's, for media rights, it's, that's not the problem. It's what is, what is the expectation for that check relative to our ability to recoup on it, right? And so, no, we can't just write checks for marketing reasons. Like, you can't rationalize media rights from a marketing lens only. And so if there's not a path to recoup on these deals, then, then read no, like we can't, right? It's just not... It's not sustainable economics. And so I think it takes platforms and partners figuring that out, right? Um, the economics have to work, right? Like, it's not that I'm not opposed to writing checks where it makes sense, right? I think, you know, people are investing a lot of time, energy, and money into these leagues, right? Like, I think it's fair for platforms to have to write a check to acquire this content at some point, right? Can't be just marketing rational rationale for, for a lot of these companies on either side. Um, having said that, though, like, I think the economics are upside down when you can't have like sell all the sponsorships and then only allocate like the ad media, but then ask for big checks. Right. So there's a lot of things that everyone has to work through, but I think we'll get there. Right. I think, you know, 
they add so much value esports leagues to the platforms like we'll get there we'll figure it out i think everybody's mutually interested in figuring that out so i'm encouraged long term yes we'll write checks depends on if it's not exclusive or exclusive and it depends on where they're at um i don't think it's the only way to drive value to esports and i think it's it's, it's again it depends right like should we be are we at a point in esports where we need to be writing massive checks for leagues or are the checks being warranted because we've franchised and moved that funnel so quickly as well right it's like where are we at again this is the whole issue with you can't have platform here publisher here teams here right like we are not aligned on where this space is at and so therefore expectations aren't aligned money's not aligned there's a lot of things that are misaligned in esports yeah. we'll get there though answer your question we'll get there i, I believe in that i, I yeah. do and i think it will continue to be valuable um to the game space yeah blake probably gets that better than than anyone having to sit on the team side and, and having to deal with what uh cdl now and nalcs so yep yeah one, one thing i wanted to get back to um on twitch uh just shortly but so so what twitch has done to me really well is they've done these community events called twitch rivals and you guys have actually started to engage the community uh, with different events, I, I know there was, you know, a Fall Guys charity tournament. You guys will probably do something uh, again in in Call of Duty. Is that something that you guys will continue to do for the creators that are on uh, YouTube gaming specifically going into 2021? Yeah, we will. I love that stuff. Um, partnering with publishers and putting those events on are great, right? It's like we gotta, we have to show creators that we care, full stop, right, and that we're invested. And there's a lot of ways to do that in a all digital environment next year for a majority of next year. Yes, we need to do that. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to be resourced to do something comparable to Twitch Rivals. Um, I don't think that's in our DNA. It's not really what we do. But we do need to keep investing in our creator ecosystem. And I think these tournaments in partnership with publishers are a great way to do it. We have to keep investing in creators. And I think that will be one way we continue to do it, especially in an all-digital environment. There's so yeah. much more we need to be doing with creators. I think we're getting there. But we've got a long road ahead of us. And again, this is why competition is great. I think Facebook and Twitch do a great job with this. So it holds YouTube gaming accountable to be like, all right, well, what are you doing for us? Right. And so it does, you know, holds our feet to the fire to come through. Agreed. So you guys, uh, you guys came out with a lot of statistics yesterday or last week about YouTube gaming. Is there any specifically that you want to share? I'd like for you to share a little bit, you know, about your guys's, you know, incredible 2020 that YouTube gaming had. No, I think we covered them. Like we doubled our watch time in two years. We have 40 million gaming channels, right? So like that's in incredibly insane. The numbers that we talked through as far as like 80,000 creators hit 100,000 subscribers. Like we have this healthy funnel. Um, I think we highlighted a lot of them. I'm excited that we had such a great year. Like I said, moving forward, I think, you know, where's the next 100 billion hours come from? I think it's these hyper growth emerging markets, if you will. And I think I think it's more like the Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, cable TV of the world, right? Like it's not Twitch and Facebook gaming. Like I don't think of those as our primary competitors. I think people have a limited amount of time that they choose to use with entertainment and they're using it on all these different things, playing video games, watching video games, Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, yada, yada, right? The list goes on. I think we're competing with people's time now. And so I don't think of it as Twitch and Facebook. I think of it as like the Netflix of the world. Um, mm -hmm. It'll be interesting what the next couple of years look like, knowing that that is a pivot in strategy of competition. Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I am, you know, ecstatic of what you have built over the last six to seven years on YouTube gaming. I obviously have a lot of creators that that stream on YouTube as well as have VODs. I think I think what a what a streamer looks like is is different than what it looked like a few years ago. I think now TG is significantly scaled back his streaming hours. 
and he's focused on like like you said earlier, VOD is a big piece of that. Live streaming is also a yep. piece. It's not it's not one or the other. You can be both. And so I think YouTube gaming actually puts that to the forefront. And so for that, like obviously I appreciate everything you've done and thanks for coming on the podcast. And and Blake and I loved uh, love talking with you. Hey, I love this podcast. You guys keep it up. You uh you enjoy your holidays. I hope you get some time off from work and these podcasts, but keep up the great work in this industry. I appreciate both of you. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Yeah.